Hey everyone, welcome to the Cornerstone Church Podcast. Our prayer is that through this message, you will find the Father, a family, and a fulfilling future. Be sure to connect with us online at Cornerstone Church Social to keep up with all things Cornerstone. Thanks for tuning in. Today, I cannot believe we're here at the end of Talking Elephants and Tipping Cows. We're in part six today, the finale, um, and it feels like we just started the series, and here we are at the end of it. Now, if you've missed any of these and you're wondering, like, what's Pastor Jacob doing? Is there a guest here today? Like, what, what, what's going on up here? What we've been doing throughout this series is we've been having discussions about very touchy topics, Right? Just having a discussion. That's why the stage is set up like this. Um, We're wanting to visually illustrate the fact that we are not preaching at you, but we're talking with you throughout the series. And so what we have been wanting you to do is almost visually impose yourself into this chair, right? Like we're we're just having a talk. We're just having a discussion uh, about some very uh, uh, tough topics. Some of the things that we've discussed, we've discussed politics, um, and how Christians should engage in them, which is obviously very timely considering the news of the last 48 hours with Roe versus Wade being overturned. Um, we've discussed hell. We've discussed suffering and pain. We've discussed uh, sex. We've discussed depression. Um, a lot of very important, big, touchy issues. And what we've wanted to have is real conversation about these things. Real conversation that actually makes a difference by studying God's word, studying what he says about all of these things, and then trying to apply it to our life. What we have been trying to avoid is exactly what we've been seeing play out online over the last 48 hours, right? You've seen it. With the news going on, you've seen everybody on the right and on the left trying to make points, right? Well, here's my point. Well, here's my counterpoint. Well, here's my counter-counterpoint, right? Like just point, point, point. And what we're trying to do here at Cornerstone is not make a point, but make a difference. We're not trying to talk at people, trying to talk with people, trying to facilitate conversations. And that's exactly what we're going to do today with another very touchy and timely topic. If you're a note taker, today's sermon title is Smokes, Shots, and Substances. We're talking about substance abuse issues and addiction issues. This is obviously no stranger to us here in the Northeast Ohio area, is it? No, not at all. Um, This is an insane number. Last year, 2021, uh, the United States, for the first time ever, passed the 100,000 death mark when it comes to overdoses. Last year. During one year, more than 100,000 people died of an overdose due to some sort of substance abuse issue. Listen to this number. This is insane. This is Cuyahoga County, our neighbor to the north. Um, Listen to this stat. It doesn't even sound real. Between the years 2006 and 2017, substance abuse issues went up 1,000%. Doesn't even sound real, does it? 1,000%. And then how about this one? This is a poll that was conducted last year in 2021. A poll conducted last year found that 36.8 million people people in the United States admitted to having substance abuse or addiction issues. 36.8 million. Now what's shocking to me isn't even so much that number, but just the fact that that's how many people admitted to it. Right? We know that number's higher. Come on. You, you, know, you know the person in your life who, what, drinking issue? Me? 
know, I'm, I'm a social drinker, right? I'm a, I'm a social, I just casually drink here and there, but you know that's not the case. There's a lot of people dealing with this. And this is what I'll say, this is what I would bet my life on, is that you either in this room and watching online, you're either the people, you're the person struggling with a substance abuse or addiction issue, or you have a loved one who is. But we all have somebody. We're all going through this fight together. There is, there is no one who is a stranger to the issue that we're discussing today. This affects all of us in very real, very tangible ways. It may not be you, but it's your brother. It may, may not be you, but it's your coworker. It's your friend. It's your sister. It's your mom. This is a huge issue. I know it. I've done two funerals just this year of people who have died of an overdose. Just this year. A few years ago, I did a funeral for my buddy who I played basketball with in high school. Left behind a little boy. Heartbreaking stuff. Pastor Brenda has become infamous known as the funeral pastor in our area because she does so many funerals specifically for young people who have died of overdoses. I can, rem- I can remember sitting in a funeral where Pastor Brenda was uh, doing it for a young man who had died of an overdose specifically said in the crown, I, I see some people in here who you're, this was one of your good friends and you're doing the same stuff that led to his death. And I'm telling you right now, if you don't change things in your life, I'm going to be doing your funeral soon. And sure enough, within three months, she was doing another funeral for someone who attended that one. It's insane. It's everywhere. It's invasive. It's all over the place. It affects all of us. So I don't need to just give you stats because you've got the names. You know who these people are. Maybe it's you. Maybe it's a loved one. But this is something, man, this is, this is an all-skate today. We talk about that a lot here at Cortisone. This is an all-skate sermon. Whether you're the person who's in it or the person who loves someone who's in it, we all have this issue and we have to deal with it. Now, how we're going to talk about it today, every week has kind of had its own feel, right, throughout the series. If you've been with us, every week kind of has its own distinct kind of feel like um, the week we talked about hell was much more of a like a Q&A kind of uh, feel for the day. So today is going to follow that same theme of having a different kind of feel. And basically what I want us to look at today is just I want us to discuss the top five things that I learned that I had found through my research and study as I prepared for this sermon that we need to know when it comes to substance abuse or addiction issues. And honestly, um, everything that we're going to be talking about today is also applicable to other issues in your life. But specifically, it, it really hits the nail on the head when it comes to substance abuse issues. And so we're talking about all of it today. We're talking about alcohol. We're talking about pot. We're talking about painkillers. Um, I'll say this, this is, this is the subject that we get the most questions on as pastors here at Cornerstone, outside of sex. Sex is like far and away number one, but a close, a kind of close number two is substance abuse. People want to know like, hey, how much is too much? What can I smoke? What can I drink? How much can I drink? How much can I smoke? It's, it's something that people wonder about a lot. So let's dive into it. First, first thing that I'll say um, that we just... This is like kind of a paradigm shift for us. And again, this isn't just applicable to substance abuse, but across the board is I think we need to stop asking, is this right? And start asking, is this wise? Right? Like, again, of course, when it comes to substance issues, but in every area of life, we're so quick to just, you know, 
grab the good book and just let me find if this is right or wrong. If it's, if it's black and white, so I can find a verse to justify what I want to do, right? Or I can find a verse to kind of uh, just pull out of context and make me feel better about what I'm doing in life and that, hey, it's, it's not explicitly wrong. It's not explicitly right, right? The Bible doesn't say one way or the other. It's so black and white. Um, and I feel like that's such a wrong way to approach so much in life. Is this right or is this wrong? Man, is it wise? Is it wise for you? Is this a wise thing for you to do? Um, this is how the Apostle Paul phrases it. This is in his letter to the uh, church in Ephesus. He says this in Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. I love this. He says, so be careful how you live. Paul's talking about, man, you live your life with intention. Be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. And this is what it looks like in verse 16. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. That's what it looks like to live wise. Making the most of every opportunity. Living your life with intention. Verse 17, don't act thoughtlessly. Don't let life just happen to you. Don't let things just happen. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. Understand what is wise for you to do. Is it wise? Um, whenever I was on vacation uh, uh, about a month back, I told you guys I went to uh, an obstacle course, First Flight Adventure Park. It was so much fun. Me and my brother-in-law, Aaron, went and did it. And how the course is set up, it's like a, um, it's like a real tall pillar in the middle, and then there's, uh, it's like a circle surrounds it. And there's uh, four levels to it, and uh, each level is divided in half. So it's like, here's a course, here's a course. And then you go up a level, and here's a course, here's a course, and you go up a level, and it does that for four levels. So there's a total of eight courses. Um, and it was a lot of fun. It was, it was a blast. But on the way, as we're walking over there, we did our training, and then as we're walking to it, like two to three times, our instructors and different instructors told us, hey, just so you know, if you get stuck on the zip line, because that's how you get back to the main like nerve center, you finish the course, and there's a zip line that takes you back to the middle like, hey, if you get stuck on the zip line, like you can't make it all the way across, don't worry. There's like a little white rope. You can pull on and pull yourself uh, the rest of the way over. Um, and like two to three people told us that, like different people. I'm like, okay, this must happen a lot. Maybe these aren't good zip lines or something. Why are people getting stuck so much? So I finished the first course and I come over and I'm on the platform and I'm like, well, that ain't happening to me. I'm not going to be the guy who's like, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Like, I'm going to make sure I make it across. Like, you know. So, like, if this is the edge of the platform right there, I start, like, way back here. Like, I, I make sure I get a running jump off of this thing. And so I, that's exactly what I did. I, I backed up, took off, and jumped. Um, and let me tell you, about 0.5 seconds in to my jump off of there, I understood why people got stuck. It had nothing to do with the wheels, like, or them not being good. It had to do with people who are afraid of heights. And so a lot of people don't really jump off of these things and just kind of, uh, uh, and fall off, and so it doesn't really take them that far. Um, so needless to say, nothing was wrong with the zipline wheels. They worked great. <laughs> really good. Like, these things worked really good. So I jump off, and I kid you not, you can hear the wheels just, like, I'm, I'm sailing. I'm going so fast. One of the instructors who's in the tower sees me coming in, and he yells out, coming in hot! Like, <laughs> I was coming in high. It looked like the DeLorean going 88. There's sparks, there's smoke. I'm like, ah! <laughs> I'm flying in. And there's a little platform. 
And I, like, I had started to kind of turn. My hip, I banged into that thing, like, hard. It did not budge. <laughs> like, there was no give on that thing. I hit it hard. I had a big bruise right here. And I'm not kidding when I say it just kind of went numb. Like, for a good maybe two minutes, my leg right here just felt numb. Of course, the guy, the instructor, I hit it. He goes, whoa, you all right? You okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm good. He turns around. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I was like, it hurt so bad. It just hurt so bad. Um, and that wasn't the end of my hurt. Like, as we were doing the rest of the obstacle course, there's so many places on it where, like, it, it's not easy. Like, it's an obstacle course. So places where you're supposed to put your hands, it's not, like, very clear. It's not like, oh, there's a big hand hole for you. It's, like, a really tiny ledge, so you've got to use your fingertips a lot and stuff. It was really, really difficult. And the higher you get, the more your muscles kind of tense up, and you're just you know, trying to hang on for dear life, even though you're connected through the harness. So by the time I got done with the seventh course, like seven out of eight, I had, I'm not joking with you, I had like three blisters on this hand, another three on this hand. Um, I had a blister on my foot. My hip is still just writhing in pain. I'm, I'm, all of my muscles are just taxed. My forearms feel like they're on fire. I'm just, oh. And so then I look at the last course, and these instructors who are like 3% body fat, you know, they're, they're just as like, in shape as they can possibly be, are like, that last one, that's, that's a doozy. That's a, I'm like, that's a doozy? What have I been doing? Like, oh my gosh. So I decided, looking at the last one, they're like, you want to give it a try? I'm like, I, I can't. Like, I literally can't. Maybe next year, whenever I get back here, I'll, you know, I'll try to prepare for it more, but I, I can't. Like, I can't do it. I just can't do it. Um, and as I'm thinking about that, I was thinking about what we're talking about today. My decision-making process on me not doing that last course wasn't me asking, well, is this right or wrong for me to try this last course? What a, what a stupid question that would be, right? Like, of course, that's not what I was thinking. What I was thinking is, would it be wise for me to do that last course? <laughs> like, I've signed all the paperwork. I've signed the waivers. There's nothing right or wrong about it. That's not even a question. Would it be wise? I'm already, like, getting jacked up. Like, this is not, this is not good. And this last course, seeing some of the stuff that was on it, I'm like, I'm probably going to end up slipping and scraping my shin or something. I'm like, you know what? It's just not wise for me. And when it comes to that decision, it seems like, well, of course, that's what you would be asking is, is this wise or not? Is this right or wrong? Um, but as obvious as that is, it should be that obvious in a lot of aspects in our life that we don't need to be asking, is this right or wrong? That is such an immature question. When the more mature question is, man, is this a wise thing for me? Like, is this, is this really wise knowing my personal history? Is it wise for me to drink knowing my history with alcohol? Is it wise for me to, to do this with my family's history? Is it wise for me to do this knowing my own addictive personality? You want to know my dad, um, uh, Pastor Charlie, he didn't drink, um, and obviously he was a pastor in the Free Methodist Church whenever we were part of the Free Methodist denomination. That was one of the things that was in uh, their governance rules, was that if you're a pastor, a Free Methodist pastor, you have to completely abstain from alcohol. So he didn't drink. Um, but apart from that, he, he told me before, I remember talking with him about this, he said, you know what, even if I wasn't a pastor in the Free Methodist Church and I was able to drink, I wouldn't do it. And it has nothing to do with it being right or wrong. Because actually, I don't think there's anything wrong with drinking, like in its own. I think you can take it too far. I don't, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No, I, I'm not basing my decision to not drink off of right or wrong. I just know it wouldn't be wise for me. My dad was able to admit about himself that he knew he had a pretty addictive personality. 
that there are certain things in his life that he's like, man, if I would ever even try that, if I would try alcohol, I know it wouldn't be good. If I would ever try betting on something, I know it wouldn't be good. My personality, it's not even a question of right or wrong, it's a question of wisdom. And I know this would not be wise for me to do. We've got to start asking ourselves, is this the wise thing for me? In light of my personal experiences of where I've been, of where I'm hoping to go, is this an actually wise thing for me to do? Not so much right or wrong, wise, wisdom, which is a perfect segue. So that was number one, a perfect segue to our second thing that we need to keep in mind when it comes to substance abuse issues is how important it is to identify your why. If you are someone or you know a loved one who is suffering with substance abuse issues, identify the why. Why are they struggling with this? What is the thing that's beneath the thing? Because oftentimes the, the, the drinking, the, the smoking, the, the pain pills, those are things, um, but those are like symptoms of the main problem. There's something underneath all of it. There is a why. And let me tell you, one of the most powerful things you can do is identify your why. Not just with substance abuse issues, with any issue in life. There is such a power that comes with finding out why you do certain things, why you don't do certain things, why you think this way, why you think that way. Listen to how David phrases it. This is in Psalm 139, uh, verses 23 through 24. David says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Know my anxious thoughts. Point out anything that offends you and lead me along the path of an everlasting life. I love that. I love how David says, God, search me, search my heart. Even things that I think that I'm doing for a complete noble and godly reason. God, I want you to identify if there's anything in it that's selfish. That's my own personal ambition. God, help me identify my why. Search my heart and expose me. Identify the why. I'll give you a personal example of how I know this to be true and powerful in my own life. I'm a procrastinator. Is anybody else where are my procrastinators at? There is my people. Hey, it's just a victory that you're here today and you didn't put it off to next week, right? Amen. You're here. You're in the house. That, that's, a, that's a win. Um, I'm a procrastinator, but I'm not lazy. I don't know about everybody else who, who's a procrastinator. And so it's been frustrating to me for years, um, having a hard time getting started on stuff and knowing like, man, I know I'm not lazy. What is, what is this about? Why do I put things off? Like, I, I, I love completing things. I, I'm the kind of person who I love a to-do list. There's such just power in the crossing something off. Doesn't it feel, it's just like cathartic, man. Just, oh, just crossing it off. I love it so much. I'll finish something that I didn't have on my to-do list, and I'll add that thing to my to-do list so I can cross it off. Just be like, boom, there it is. It's done. Like, I, I'm that kind of person. And so... If that's who I am, I'm like, why do I procrastinate and put things off if I get such enjoyment out of finishing things? Like, what is going on here? I'm not a lazy person. And so I kind of had a King David Psalm 139 moment where I'm like, God, can you, I need you to help me. I need you to help me point out what is going on here because I'm missing it. I'm missing the deeper issue that's causing me to procrastinate. What is going on in me? And I realized it. I'm a perfectionist. I'm a perfectionist. And so what I do is I want to put everything off until it's perfect. Like, I, right? You feel me? Yes, my people. I'm not alone. That's, that is exactly where I am. I, I don't want to start work on that room until I know I have everything that I need to finish that room and finish it excellently and make it look great and make it look 
perfect. I don't want to start that paper or that thing until I know that I'm able to do it perfectly and the conditions are right. But that never comes, <laughs> right? Like, I, I, you can only count on like one hand of the times in your life where something gets to be like just a perfect 10 that you completed. A lot of times it's sixes and sevens at best, right? Like, it's just, that, that's kind of where things are. And God revealed that to me, kind of pointed that out in my life. That, man, Jacob, you got to stop waiting for things to be perfect because that day's not coming. Your life will pass you by. You won't accomplish what you wanted to accomplish. You've got to eliminate this out of your life. And so I've been working on it. I'm, I'm not where I want to be yet, but I'm better than where I used to be. And it all stemmed, it all started from me starting to identify the why in my life. If you are someone who is relying on substances to be a fix for you, you need to start digging deeper and realize, okay, what, what's really going on here? What's really going on in my life? What is, what is this really doing for me? What is this masking? What is this uh, uh, trying to hide? Is it depression issues like we talked about last week? Is it anger issues? Is it bitterness? Is it resentment? What is actually going on inside of you? Why do you rely on certain things? Because I'll tell you this much, you won't be able to effectively change it and actually swap out unhealthy ways of dealing with things for healthy ways until you identify the why. You just won't. And that's not just uh, uh, Christian biblical teaching. That's, that's what you hear from secular counselors and from people uh, who would tell you about substance abuse issues. That man, if you're, if you're using substances, if you've got an underlying issue like depression, like anxiety, like guilt or shame, and you're using pills or you're using pot or you're using uh, alcohol, you're using something to just pin that thing down and not have to think about it, just put it out of sight, out of mind, that is unhealthy and that will lead you to abusing that substance, to taking it farther than you ever thought that you would. So you've got to identify your why. Figure out what's really going on inside my heart, inside my soul, inside my life that's causing me to rely on these things because once you do that, then you can start working on how to fix it and replacing that coping mechanism with an actual healthy coping mechanism, an actually healthy management system, which brings us to point number three. One of the best ways to manage addiction in your life is getting good friendships in your life. And again, this isn't even just a substance abuse issue thing. This is a any issue. If you have something in your life that's not where it should be and you're wanting to manage that well, look at who your friends are. Look at who is investing in your life. If you want to fix your fix, fix your friends. <laughs> If you want to fix your fix, fix the thing that you use to try to fix issues in your life, fix your friendships. I'm telling you right now, it is that important. This is how the Apostle Paul says it in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. He says, bad company corrupts good character. Amen to that. Bad company corrupts good character. It is one of the most cliche things, um, the saying, show me your friends, I'll show you your future. You want to know why that's so cliche? Because it's true. It is true. One of the truest things that's ever been said. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future. Um, we don't even realize how much influence the people who are around us have on us. It's crazy. My daughter, Eden, she's eight. Um, she's, she's, this is her, you know, she's been in school for quite a few years now. Um, and it's funny. I never noticed this until yesterday. Me and my wife were talking. She brought something up. I'm like, holy cow, you're right. I'd never even thought about that. Um, but Jessica brought it up, and I'm like, I've got to put that in my sermon. She said, have you noticed that Eden kind of like talks how her 
teacher talks. Like she kind of mimics what her teacher says. I'm like, what do you mean? She's like, well, think about it. Like her, her first two years, she had kind of like younger teachers. And then now she's got a little bit older of a teacher. And like think about how she talks. And I'm like, oh my goodness, you're right. So like right now, my daughter Eden, she has a little bit older of a teacher. And um, things that she says, like if we ask her to do something, like, hey, Eden, can you run upstairs and grab your brother a diaper real quick? She'll like peek around the corner and go, yes, dear. Yes, dear. I'm like, yes, dear. What in the world? What's that? Um, another thing, Griffin, whenever he's acting like, whenever he does something, she thinks it's really cute. She'll like lean down and be like, why well, aren't you just the cutest little thing? Aren't you just the sweetest little thing? I'm like, you sound like a, sound like a grandma. Why are you hearing this? Like, what in the world? You, aren't you the sweetest little thing? And it never hit me. I'm like, that's right. That probably is how her teacher talks. And just further confirmation of that, her previous teacher um, is a, a good friend of someone in our church family. And so we know her outside of school. We've gotten to hang around her a few times. And I started connecting the dots. I'm like, oh my goodness. Yeah, that's right. Different things that she said. Eden would say when she was in her class, I'm like, wow, look at that. The influence of the teacher, even just how they talk, affects how she talks. The same thing is happening with you. You may be so close to the situation, so close to your friend group, you don't even realize it. But I'm telling you, the people you spend your time around, the people who get to invest in your life, the people who get to speak into your life, you sound like them. You talk like them. And chances are you probably think like them. So what I want to ask you, and obviously don't blurt this out, but just to yourself, I want you to take an inventory of those people in your life, the people that you sound like, the people that you think like, the people who get to invest an input into your life. How do they handle depression? How do they handle anxiety? How do they handle when things don't go their way? How do they handle letdowns in life? Do they turn to something? Do they turn to substances? Do they get deeper and deeper into the resentment or anger or bitterness? And not even just that stuff. How do they handle the good stuff? <laughs> how do they handle joys and successes in their life? Man, I got a new raise. Let's go out to the bar tonight. Let's go, let's go get trashed. Like, how do they handle these things? Because I am telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, if that is a person who gets to invest and in input in your life in big ways, that's going to be you. That's going to be you. It just is. I've, I've been around long enough to see that play out. Pastor Brenda's been around long enough to see that play out. It happens time and time again. Show me your friends, and I'll show you your future. So you might be thinking to yourself, so what are you saying, Pastor Jacob? Should I, like, dump my friends? <laughs> like, should I dump my friend group? Um, maybe. Maybe. Again, going back to what we talked about at the beginning, um, I'm sure you can find a few verses that you would be able to take out of context and go, no, see, I'm, I should still be around just them, you know, like that, that should still be my primary influencer. Um, but the key thing is, are you being influenced or are they being influenced? And nine times out of 10, if you're the one person in there, you're the one who's being influenced. You just are. And so for you and for your own safety and for your own life goals, you're going to have to, yeah, um, probably the, the best thing you can do for some of you, if you are being influenced the best thing you can do is delete that number in the name of Jesus, right? Like, just, just delete that number out of your phone because, again, I've seen it play out too often. I've done funerals for people who were like, I'm, not be, I'm the influencer. I'm there to be the missionary. <laughs> you know, even Jesus didn't go into all this stuff alone. He had a group of 12 guys around him. He had his disciples. He had his followers who, yeah, they would go into some pretty crazy spots, but he had people who were at least somewhat of like mind with him. You need that. 
you need that. So yeah, maybe there may be a friendship. There may be a relationship where it is taking you into murky waters. It's taking you into places where you wouldn't believe where you'll be in five years today. But if you continue to allow them to be your biggest influence, that's exactly where you're headed. So basically what I'm saying is, and this is part number four, and it may not make sense at first, but let me uh, elaborate on it. You need to be willing to burn your ships. Herman Cortez, he was a Spanish conquistador in the 1500s. He came to the New World with about 600 men looking to conquer the Aztec Empire, looking to, to take over this new land. Um, and regardless of what you think about him as an individual or as a person, he had a fantastic uh, move of leadership that he did. First thing he did whenever they landed, first thing once his men and all their equipment got off the boats, is he set their ships on fire. Think about that for a moment. This isn't the 21st century where you can go get a new one at like a boat shop or something. Like, that's it. Like, this dude just set on fire every way of escape that we have, every chance of getting back to all, our old life that we have, he just torched it. He just completely set it on fire, took it to the ground, and basically told his men, hey, look, there is no retreat here. We're not going back to the old way of things. We either conquer or we die. That's it. Those are our two options. There are some of us who need to be willing to do that with things in our life. Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe it's an old habit. Maybe it's an old routine. But you need to be willing to burn that ship to the ground. That thing that's connecting you to your old life, you can't manage it any longer. You can't, well, I'm, I'm trying to be the influencer there. And you've been in that relationship for five years and you've been influenced for five years and not done very much influencing. And you need to get out. Um, we, it's funny, we have like two groups here at Cornerstone. We have people who have like been here for 20 years or people who've been here for like six months. That's what it feels like. We've got a lot of new people, a lot of people who've been here for a while. So if you're in the group that's been here for a while, you'll probably know this name. There's an associate pastor here at Cornerstone for a while named uh, Hal Hare. Hal is just an incredible guy, awesome man uh, of God, great family guy. Um, and whenever he came uh, to Cornerstone, which his whole story is a wild story of how he came here, um, but they used to live in another state, another city, um, and his son, Troy, who's a great guy, he's doing awesome right now, he's following the Lord, uh, works in the fire department, doing, doing great stuff. But his son, Troy, whenever he was younger, started getting uh, into bad crowd and started getting into substances, started getting into stuff that he shouldn't do. And his parents saw exactly where that was going to lead and what it was going to do to his life, to his future, to the call of God. Um, and so what they did, they didn't try to manage his friendships or his relationships. They didn't try to tell him, well, you know what, you know, that's okay. You just be the influencer, even though everyone seems to be influencing you. Um, they didn't do any of that. You want to know what they did without telling him? One day, they moved. <laughs> not to like a new neighborhood, not to a new city. They moved to a new state. Without any plans, without their house being sold, without a new job in place, nothing lined up. But they saw our son is headed down a road that we don't know what's going to happen to him. And God help us, it ain't happening on our watch. It's just not happening. We're getting him out of here. That's exactly what they did. Took Troy, took the rest of the family, and moved. And it worked. <laughs> they burned their ships to the ground. Said, no, no, no. We're, we'll, we will leave it all behind because we are not allowing you 
to go back there. We are burning this thing to the ground. And I love it. We see a similar example in Scripture in 1 Kings chapter 19. Um, the prophet Elijah, this great man of God, he's getting ready to uh, have his life come to an end. He's getting older. He knows that he doesn't have much longer. So he's looking for a successor. Um, and he finds this man, Elisha, very similar to his own name, who's going to be the next prophet. And so this is where Scripture picks up. Um, there were 12 teams of oxen in the field, and Elisha was plowing the field with the 12th team. Elijah went over to him and threw his cloak across his shoulders and then walked away. This was a symbolic gesture. Elijah was throwing the mantle of leadership on Elisha, basically saying, hey, I'm picking you to be my apprentice to come follow me. Elisha left the oxen standing there, ran after Elijah and said to him, hold on, just first let me go and kiss my father and mother goodbye, and then I'll go with you. Elijah replied to him, go on back and think about what I've done. So verse 21, so Elisha returned to his oxen, and listen to this, this is so powerful. Elisha returned to his oxen, which is what he was doing when Elijah found him, right? He was out in the field plowing with the oxen in the plow. Elisha returned to his oxen and slaughtered them. He then used the wood from the plow to build a fire to roast their flesh. He passed around the meat to the townspeople and they all ate. Then he went with Elijah to be his assistant. You see what he did there? The thing that represented his old life, the thing that represented where he was and what he was doing, he burned it to the ground. Saying, yeah, I'm, I'm leaving this behind. I'm, 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 I'm not giving myself an out. I'm not going to come back to this. I know that this is not where God wants me to be. And so I'm leaving it. I'm burning my ship. And he followed after Elijah. We have got to be willing to do the same thing. What habit in your life needs burned to the ground? What, what relationship? What relationship? Not that you don't love them anymore, that you don't pray for them anymore, but allowing them to influence you. That needs burned to the ground. What relationship is that? What routine is that? What's that thing that's leading you to more substance abuse? Are you willing to burn your ships? So quick recap of, of where we've been so far and what we've talked about. Number one that we need to keep in mind, again, not just with substance abuse, but with every issue. Stop asking, is this the right thing? Start asking, is this the wise thing? Number two, identify your why. Why do you do the things you do? What's, what's the underlying thing going on there? Identify the why. Number three, fix your friendships. Take an inventory of truly who gets to input in your life, who gets to invest in your life. Fix your friendships. And then number four, be willing to burn the ships that God points out in your life. And then the last thing, the, the, the last thing, number five, that we're going to look at today, and I believe this is so, I believe this with everything, um, especially, especially, especially when it comes to substance abuse and addiction issues, we need to renew our reliance in the power of prayer. We've got to do it. Um, this, this last little part, I told this to Saturday night service and to Sunday. Um, this last part, I, I literally added this, like, as I was getting ready to preach on Saturday night. So, this still isn't totally fleshed out, so you'll have to uh, forgive me and walk with me as I try to explain, explain this. Um, but what I mean, I, I feel like there is a growing um, thing happening in the Christian church, uh, and it's just, it's just from what I'm seeing. It's very anecdotal. It's just what I'm seeing online where we don't say we don't believe in the power of prayers any much, but we act like we don't believe in the power of prayer so much. More like it's kind of like a, a, a nicety or, you know, it's, it's just a, it's a good thing to do, but it doesn't actually accomplish 
anything. Um, and so let me, let me tease this out a little bit. Um, what I mean by that is, like, for example, um, with, with the big decision that happened just in the last 48 hours, Roe v. Wade, right? This, de- uh, this decision happened. Supreme Court over, uh, overturns Roe v. Wade. And what I see from a lot from um, Christians on the left and Christians on the right, and I'm, I'm telling you, I've seen this all over the place. This isn't like one or two, is people on the right saying, yes, votes matter. And then people on the left saying, oh, votes matter, <laughs> right? Um, and that's, that's the overarching thing that I see. And yes, that is true. Absolutely. Votes do matter. Um, but what it's kind of building up is this idea that we have more power than we actually do. <laughs> like like we, we think, like, look at us. Like the people on the, on the Christian right are like, look at us. Look at what we were able to accomplish. Look at what we did through our political action, through our work, through what we did. Look at what we were able to accomplish because we voted for the right people. We stumped for the right things. And people on the left are saying, man... What, look at what we messed up because we didn't vote for the right people. This is who we need to vote for next time. This is how we need to vote to fix this. And it, it's just kind of cultivating this idea that we have the power. We have the say-so. If we throw our weight around the right, right way, we can do what we want to do. Um, and it is crazy how this is just happening. I mean, Pastor Brenda will tell you, I can't remember the last time I've had someone ask me what denomination Cornerstone is. Like, people just don't ask that anymore. We used to get asked that all the time. Like, we used to constantly get asked, hey, like, what, what, what's your denomination? Episcopalian, Methodist, Wesleyan, Nazarene? Like, where are you guys at? And the reason people ask that is because typically that's kind of what differentiates churches is, is your, your, you know, your, your denomination, your theological background, because different denominations believe different theological things. Of course, there's a lot of church governance that kind of makes the differences. Um, but for example, different churches will have different views of the Eucharist, of communion, of baptism. Different churches will have different views uh, of, of atonement, and how salvation works, right? And these things kind of separate us. These are differentiators. But let me tell you, no one's asking that anymore. No one cares. You know what we do get asked all the time, though? Political issues. All the time. 24-7. What's Cornerstone thinking about climate change? What do we think about gun control? What's Cornerstone thinking about abortion? What's Cornerstone thinking about gay marriage? What's Cornerstone thinking about X, Y, Z? What's Cornerstone thinking? All of these things that are like political stances. It's, it's like we're practically getting asked, hey, do you guys give out pamphlets on who to vote for around voting time? <laughs> straight party line R, straight party line D. Like, is, is that like how we work? And I just see this culture being built up of self-reliance, of we make things happen, of vote the right way, of do this, of do that. And again, yes, those things matter. Like Pastor Donnie preached on week one, how Christians are to interact in politics. Of course, that matters. Um, But I believe we're building up a cult of self-reliance where we believe that we have more power than we actually do. And I think every now and then we need a reminder that, you know what? We actually don't have the power we think we do. We're not as powerful as we sometimes like to think that we are. And let me tell you, there is nothing, I promise you, nothing that will bring you back down to earth and remind you just how powerless and helpless you are as having a loved one struggle with substance abuse. Nothing will remind you how powerless you truly are. You can beg with them. 
You can plead with them. You can try to bribe them. You can try to scare them. You can try to love them. You can try to do everything, and it doesn't work. It's terrifying, and it's scary. I've been in that position before. I guarantee you've been in that position before. Where, you're, where you have someone that you love and what you're praying is that the call that you get is that they've been arrested because, thank God, they're probably safer in jail than they are outside. It's a scary thing, and it is a hopeless feeling, and it's a powerless feeling. And the feeling that, that we've had these last couple days where people feel like, man, look at how powerful we are. Look at what we were able to accomplish because of our work and our power and what we were able to do. It ain't us. <laughs> we need to rely on God in everything we do. Renew our reliance in him. Every now and then we start to build ourselves back up. It's just like the Tower of Babel. We start to think, look at what we can accomplish on our own from our own power and our own works. And every now and then we need the reminder, no, 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 it's all God. We need him. We need him every moment. And let me tell you, when it comes to substance abuse issues that you're dealing with or your loved one's dealing with, I'm not telling you to not stop working, but I'm telling you, you better be on your knees in prayer because that's what moves mountains. That's what actually changes things you can beg and plead with someone until you're red in the face. But prayer, 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 that is the main thing. That is what the Christian church should be known for. And unfortunately, and let me tell you, I am the biggest sinner when it comes to this. How oftentimes I have told people, whenever they've told me their issue, and I say, ah, I guess all we can do is pray. God, forgive me for having that kind of view of prayer. That's a last resort. It's all we can do now. It needs to be the first thing on our mind. Again, not just in substance abuse issues, but with every issue. Focus on prayer. Well, that's all for this week. Thanks again for joining us. If you'd like to contact us or find out more about our ministry, head over to our website at cornerstonechurch.info. Have a great week.